What's happening, Cardinal Nation? Welcome back to the Cardinal Call Podcast, a classroom podcast that has been designed to interview expert leaders and gain their insight so we can help take your leadership and your learning to the next level immediately. Let me start off with a great quote today. Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even through checker, even though checkered by failure than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. That quote was made by Theodore Roosevelt, 26th president of the United States, 25th vice president of the United States and former governor of New York. Ladies and gentlemen, trust me, you don't want to miss any of our guests this month as we will be interviewing some of the top industry leaders at the university as well as in their industry who are doing and staying out of the gray twilight. These amazing guests are doing a phenomenal work by not letting the pressure get to them or their teams. The Cardinal Call Podcast Men's Health Month Edition this month can be listened to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or Google Podcasts, and you got that right. You know where to view us every Friday, 10 a.m. on YouTube. I, as you can see by my moniker below, am here at the Professor Owens, also known as Dr. C. Sean Owens, with my co-host. He's the one, he's the only, he's the incomparable, Dr. Andrew McCart. Dr. McCart, how you doing today? Dr. Owens, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I really appreciate that introduction. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, that's, uh, you, I don't know where you find all these quotes, but I love them. And, and I'll just say uh, my, so it's my sister's father-in-law that I've become mm -hmm. good friends with him. He's one of the foremost Theodore Roosevelt experts in the country. And really? I didn't know this, but Teddy Roosevelt actually saved football. Um, yes. You, you may have known that as a football yes. coach and athlete. Yeah. So Oh, that's great. I'm right at home with that. So, yeah, thank you for that quote. And the reason that I, I, I like Teddy Roosevelt is if anybody, if any of our listeners out here on Fridays at, I think, 10 o'clock, if you watch Blue Bloods, uh, the commissioner, Frank Reagan, his favorite person to quote is the one and the only Teddy Roosevelt. I am a huge Blue Bloods fan. So uh, that settled right into my spirit really easy today. So, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Which yeah, they had a, they had a different way of talking back in that day. You know, they, oh, yeah. I, I read uh, Napoleon Hill and uh, he's the Law of Success in Sixteen Lessons, and he, he came a little later than Teddy Roosevelt, but it was uh, it, just the way they spoke then. It was like a, a higher level of the the King's English, as they say. Oh yeah, and I love it. I love it. Right? If you, it, it's great <laughs> stuff to memorize. If you ever need time to memorize things, those are great things to memorize. So before we jump into today's podcast with our very special guest, and let me tell you, he is a very special guest that we're going to bring on today. I wanted to let our listeners and viewers know that if you are ready to lead and learn with compassion and expertise, you can save time and money by enrolling in UofL's Bachelor's of Science in Organizational Leadership and Learning, the degree's unique PLA course or prior learning assessment course can award you tuition-free college credit for your work experience where you can save up to $23,000. You heard me right, up to $23,000. Learn more about the value and other amazing benefits of the BSOLL degree. You can check it out at uofl.me backslash BSOLL-podcast. Again, that's uofl.me backslash BSOLL-podcast. Now that we've got that out the way, 
Buckle your seatbelts and get ready, ladies and gentlemen, because this is going to be an amazing ride. I want to introduce our special guest. He is currently residing in the great state of Washington by way of Seattle. So he's a West Coaster and he's been there predominantly all of his life. He's paid his dues as a project management expert, which is why he is deemed by many the authoritative voice concerning project management. He has over 25 years of project management studies under his belt. He's authored the most popular book on project management. He is the president of the Versatile Company. He is a founding board member of the Project Management Training Alliance, PTMA, and he's a certified PMP, which is a project management professional. Listen, all that simply means is, ladies and gentlemen, he's the subject matter expert that the subject matter experts go to when they need an issue concerning project management. Ladies and gentlemen, so go get your pins your notepads, your memo boards, your iPhones, your iPads, whatever it is, you can tweet, type, diddle, or doodle some notes on because I want to bring to you our very special guest. He's the one, he is the only, he's the venerable Eric. Tom, thanks for that great introduction. My last name is pronounced Verju. Verju, that's Virgil. it, Verju. Coming to you live from Seattle, Washington. It's really fun. Uh, I'm excited about being here on your program. You guys have so much energy and uh, you know what? That's what turns me on is uh, one of the things I've always loved in my career and this is why I'm in the training business is I love to be able to stand up on stage and tell people what I'm passionate about. So we're in the right place today. That is amazing. And so um, let's get started because you know here on the Cardinal Podcast we don't want to waste your time we want to jump right into this so let's let's jump right into this into the pool 10 feet deep let's start off with this management consultant author Peter Drucker said this he said management is doing the right things but leadership is doing things right so Eric tell us how is it that you define leadership well, first of all, you can't put me up against uh, Peter Drucker, okay? He is the legendary Peter Drucker. You got to always say the legendary when you talk about Peter Drucker. But you know what, uh, Sean and Andrew, I've been talking about uh, leadership for so many years and writing about it that I cannot say leadership is, I got to say leadership is many things. I'm going to start, I got a list here I'm going to walk you through. It's vision because you have to see the purpose of the work. You've got to know why you're doing what you're doing. So leaders understand the big picture they know where you're headed that's important because you have to be able to prioritize you need to be able to say no and you need to be able to focus um, leaders have values and they choose their values because they know the values shape the culture of the organization that they're in and uh, you know as we were speaking uh, ahead of the show we talked about uh, I used to work for Ross Perot, who was very intentional about the values that he had and the culture that he wanted to create in his organization. Um, leaders have strategy. They, there is a path to victory. There are no leaders that people look up to that didn't have victory. Okay, so they got to have a path to victory. Um, and, and here's my specialty is execution. Leaders have to be able to get it done. Right? Again, it's all part of if, you, if you're not getting it done, people don't really look up to you as, as a leader. Um, and then very importantly, character. You have to have a character that inspires the other people. 
And uh, there are so many important characteristics that people can have, but um, integrity and courage are two of my favorites. And I'll just share one of my uh, stories about why I think uh, character is so important as a leader. Um, way, way, way back when we have the Constitutional Convention for this country, uh, the silent man at the head of the room was George Washington. And yet people knew his character. We would not have the presidency as we know it, as it was formed. Our form of government with a strong executive was formed because George Washington had integrity and people trusted him to be in that role. And so that just is an example of how important it is to have character. Um, now that's a long list, right? Got, I've got a long checklist, but so I think if there's one thing you can take away from that, it is that that good leaders are intentional. You don't check all those boxes accidentally. You only check all those boxes if you're conscious that that's what you want to do. And so maybe the last one, and this is one I learned from Steve Ballmer, who was previously the CEO of Microsoft, and, and is that good leaders are on stage and they know they're on stage. And so they are intentional about how they act because they know that people are watching. Now, how's that for a long list to get us started today? I love it, right? Because I say this, you are our 23rd, 24th guest. I'm not even, I don't even know the number we're on right now. But what I love about it is, is that of all leaders, CEOs, presidents, uh, athletic directors, whatever we've had on here, head, co head football coaches, soccer coaches, um, everybody's had a different definition of leadership. And I love it because it, it, it lets, I think it lets our students know, it lets our listeners know, it lets the world know that you can't put it in a box. We can, we kind of know what it is, uh, but it takes place in so many different shapes and so many different forms and so many different ways. And, and, and depending on how you get to where you get to or what your subject area of subject matter expertise is, is that's, that's kind of what, what, what molds it. So I, I think the list is phenomenal. I love the fact that it has vision, strategy, execution, character, and intentional. And the fact that you got that from Steve Ballmer, uh, I'll share a quick story because uh, before I came to the University of Louisville, I was I was working in the College of Business and we were making a shift. And I said, well, the shift had to be about what I call the battle of Steve's. And they're saying, well, what are you talking about? I said, we want to make either Steve Jobs entrepreneurs or Steve Ballmer's entrepreneurs, guys who can take creativity, innovation, maybe don't have the wherewithal to, or even want to start a business, but they know they're creative enough to keep the thing going. And so that was an interesting. So when you mentioned Steve Ballmer, that was the first thing that, that jumped into my mind, the battle of the Steves of how we were trying in the College of Business at another institution. We're trying to create entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, people who knew how to either take their innovation and go start something brand new or take that innovation, go work for a company and rise to the top. That was amazing. Yeah. Dr. Clark. Oh, please, Eric, were you going to follow up there? No, go ahead. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, well, that's uh, I mean, a great list there. I think of that intentional. I'll, I'll pick on that one a minute. Um, yeah. Being intentional. I, we, I taught personal finance for a little while, and we would say you can wander into debt kind of almost on accident and wake up in your 30s or wherever and realize, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, we're, there's, there's too much month left at the end of the money. Uh, but Or you can... Uh, 
you know, wander into as a business, you can get into some kind of trouble or lose market share. But to get out of those situations, it takes intensity and intentionality, especially because you you can't be that Zig Ziglar says you can't be a wandering generality. You have to be a meaningful specific, and you have to find that that path out. Um, and it, it doesn't just happen by accident. People don't rise, as you were saying, to great heights of leadership or. or business doesn't stick around for 30 years like a versatile company uh, without hard work and providing value day in and day out. So that, that's what I thought of whenever you mentioned the intentionality. Uh, right, right. Yeah, you know, and I'll just say that, um, and I believe me, I did a little homework on you all too, okay? I watched some of your programs and, and I really, you've got, you do have terrific guests. So I'll just, here's a shout out. If you're watching this one and you haven't watched the previous podcast, go back and watch those too. And, and as everybody comes up and you ask this question, as you start every podcast, what is leadership? And people say different things. Um, again, to me, that's, it is, there's so many things about it. Um, and because I'm a writer and because I'm a speaker, I have to break things down and I have to you know that tease it out like so here's my checklist so there you go that's how i start oh yeah intention but i will say this intentionality is the unique characteristic right a lot of people will mention character or integrity tell the truth be honest be compassionate this that, and the third. i think there's plenty of characteristics we do we but i think some of the coaches we've had on have relied on some of that strategy because they're talking about winning and success but i think what makes your definition different is 100 percent if I had to pick one thing out, it would just be intentionality. Absolutely. And I love it. I love it. I'm right, asking uh, well, that, right now. Yeah, that, that execution piece too. I think uh, I had a teacher that would say, talk doesn't cook the rice. And uh, right. you know, I thought about that, that execution, you got to actually do something. You know, if it's cooking rice, you got to, in the olden days, carry wood from the, <laughs> carry wood to the stove and light the fire and turn it on. But We've got similar things where we have to do that. We have to make the call. We have to make the connections. We have to build the course. We have to write the first edition and then the fifth edition of the book. I mean, I I've been impressed with uh, you know I, I, some people like to write their write their book and write off into the sunset, but you're constantly keeping it fresh and you've got a fifth edition out now. So I think well, that's, and you know when it comes to execution, again, I got to tell you, uh, project management, my neck of the woods, isn't always the sexiest topic, but it's blocking and tackling for you football players, right? But without the blocking, um, it's all tackle. It's, and, and you get the wrong guy tackle. Right. Oh, that, that's a nice analogy there. And uh, just to be clear, Dr. Owens is a, a football guy. I'm a fan. I was on the safe side of the uh, soft <laughs> line. Of <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, we did a little do a little wrestling. We talk about that, but yeah, he's the, yeah. He's the football guy. But well, we haven't made it past the first question. I guess I better uh, stay, stay on our script here. This is uh, great talking to you, Eric. Um, we mentioned a few folks here, Peter Drucker, um, Steve Jobs, and others, but Teddy Roosevelt. Who do you think exemplifies your definition of leadership? What, what kind of, you know, who do you look up to for inspiration? Or you mentioned George Washington, but uh, feel free, anyone that you, you uh, glean information from. You know, I'll tell you right now, I think of a very a very exciting leader for me is Stacey Abrams. You look what Stacey Abrams is doing. First of all, courage. I mean, wow, courage, vision, um, inspirational, and how much has she accomplished? So in a relatively short time, 
she's made a huge impact and, and I'm not talking about her political, you know, when she was running for things, but since she stopped running for uh, political office and started up her fair fight program, she's accomplished so much. And so I get excited when I see people like her because I know that's somebody I'm going to learn from. My whole job is to learn. You know, I, as you said, Andrew, I've got to stay fresh. I've got to keep it, keep it coming and find out what's new. And so I see somebody like her and I think, wow, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to learn something from her because let's face it, she's getting stuff done. Um, and, and I think that one of the things that I find so exciting about her is she is incredibly articulate. Now, inspirational leaders, almost without exception, are able to inspire us through their spoken and written word. You don't find too many examples of non-quotable leaders, right? I mean, Theodore Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, these people are well known because they they really moved the needle with what they wrote often because we didn't, they weren't, you know, there wasn't a television set in front of them. But um, uh, so I, I, you know, add, add, uh, communication skills to the list of intentional leaders. But I would, yeah, Stacey Abrams is right now top of my list. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I didn't, uh, wouldn't have guessed that, but I can see why you would choose Stacey Abrams. And that's, uh, that's why we bring in great leaders here, Dr. Owens, right? To learn from them. So uh, please that's take it. it away. So um, let me, let's ask this next question. I mean, to, to get down to the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of this, um, you know, when did you realize or when did you come to the conclusion that that you were a leader? Um, you know, how did that happen? Was it an epiphany? Was it uh, playing in the backyard somewhere or neighborhood game? You know, um, and this is and I didn't it didn't start out uh, today thinking that the theme was going to be intentional leadership, but that's what it's going to become uh, as you start asking me these questions. And we we've talked about this because I would say that um, I became conscious of leadership early when I started to work. You know, you, you know, you go through high school and college and whatever, and I did my things, but I didn't really think too much about leadership until I got out on the job and I saw very different leadership styles where I was working. Um, you know, you work in a big company, you see very different people. And I remember turning to somebody as I walked out of a meeting and say, I got to remember not to do that if I'm ever in a position of power, right? We've all seen that, right? That's like, okay, I'm not doing that. That is not the kind of leader I want to be. And so I started to realize that um, early in my career there that you had choices. I mean, you could be one type of a leader or a different kind of leader. And it was really behaviors. You know, people respond to behavior. You don't know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Okay. And so this is the source of a lot of problems. In fact, in communication is there's the, um, the unintended consequence. I, I think I'm doing the right thing and you and Mr. You know, you have the wrong perception. But when it comes to leadership, I realized that early on that I don't know what that person was thinking they were doing, but I know what the impact on me was. And so I would say that, um, you know, the question you said is, when did I think I became or when did I realize I was a leader? I, I, I don't know if I'm a leader, but I know that leadership is intentional and that's what I learned. And I'll give you a, a great example of this. So several years ago, and this might have been even 20 years ago, I think, 
but I was here in Seattle. I'm already working in the project management space and there's a local university that wants to have a master's degree in project management. And so the guy who was working at the university tapped a number of us who were in the local community who were active in project management and put together a, a committee, right? And we met monthly or maybe even weekly at the time uh, for a while and, you know, try to kind of form out what is this thing and, you know, get it rolling. Well, I'll tell you, the most influential member of that committee was not the leader, and I don't want to take anything away from the leader, but it was just one of the other participants who was constantly leading from within the group. It was very subtle, but the kinds of things that he said and did were constantly directing us and moving us forward and shaping the conversation. And I watched that and I said, and this guy's name was Steve, and, and Steve knows who he is because I've told him that, you know, I watched him do that years ago, Steve Widener. Um, Steve showed me that if you know what you're doing, you can lead from any position. And so I try to remember that no matter what kind of role that I'm in, I, I can be a member of my church choir, but I can be leading by with my behaviors. And so it comes back to being intentional and choosing uh, my behaviors. And so that's why I've got a long list because I can't just choose to be honest. I can't just choose to be cheerful. I got to choose to be all those things that people are looking for in a leader. That's amazing. I love that quote. If you know what you're doing, you can lead from anywhere. Ha! <laughs> I love that. I'm going to add that somewhere. Uh, hopefully you don't mind. Now, you know, the first time somebody told me that, I didn't believe them, right? And because I was early in my career and I was a little hungry, right? I was a little, I was ambitious. And I was like, hey, I think I might be ready, you know, to be step into a leadership role. And somebody says to you, oh, you can lead from any position. And I think, you know, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like no, right? Right, right. But, but if with time, uh, I, I learned that. And it probably, if you have kids, you tell them things that, they think you're just, that's a dadism, right? That's just, a, and finally though, they realize, oh, maybe that does matter, you know? Right. So I'm, that's kind of for me, that was the first one for me in my career is that anybody can can be a leader uh, and uh, you just have to, you know, choose that. Yeah, but I, I think the, like you said, I think, but the, the foundation is you gotta know what you're doing, right? You gotta put some sweat equity into something. You gotta learn how to do something, how to sell something, how to talk to a person, how to talk to the boss, how to, you know, how, you, you got to have something in the game before you try to, to do that. Because like you said, if you know what you're doing, and that's what I think. I mean, I think sometimes, um, and maybe you can elaborate on this. What do you, what do you think like if, if, about taking that risk of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, maybe I know how to talk to people, but I don't know how to sell, I don't know, insurance. But if right. I know how to talk to people, I think I can figure this out. Yeah, you know, that taking a risk. I, I do think that uh, leaders take risks, right? I mean, yeah. sh again, show me the leader that doesn't take a risk. Um, so one of the things that I know myself that I had to do is confront my fears early on in my career. I had to realize that too often my fears were shaping my decisions. And so it might be something exactly like what you said there, Sean. Um, I need you to go out and sell something, Eric. And I would think, I'm not a salesperson. I don't know how to do that. And all I could do was see the see the failure and feel the fear, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I began to realize that 
you know what, I'm acting out of fear here. And so then I began to realize when the fear was bubbling up and I was starting to take control and I'd be like, oh, here's a fear. Let's not let fear um, take control of this. Uh, and in fact, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So here's my favorite project management book. It's called Fast Forward MBA in Project Management. It's the first edition of my book, right? And uh, well, when they asked me to write that book, I had, I had not even published an article, okay? Was I afraid? Absolutely. And I thought about all the bad things that would happen if, uh, if I failed. And I was like, okay, let's do it anyway. And, and I, so I faced my fear. And uh, so I think that, you know, it, again, it's intentional. It's aware, it's self-awareness so that you can make choices. No doubt, no doubt. I like that, I like that. Dr. McCart, what do you think? Sure. Um, so our next question really on our, on our list here is another, another list for you. So uh, if, if you don't mind, and you've yeah. told us several things here about, uh, you know, ways uh, and, and ways of being that leaders should be. And I just, uh, you have done consulting for some very large organizations, Adobe, uh, Boeing, um, the list goes on and on here out there in Seattle, GE Capital, Lockheed Martin, Nordstrom. Um, what do you think up and coming leaders need to have? Is there anything that we haven't mentioned yet, or maybe you'd want to frame it differently for up and coming leaders uh, that you would like to tell us about what you learn from? Well, so everything, you know, that we've talked about before, um, up and coming leaders, you know, boy, that's a long list. And, you know, start with character because everything that's, that's your foundation. Um, but I would say for up and coming leaders, um, some things that are going to be different than they've been in the past is we've got uh, pace of change and virtual teams that are, th these are two dynamics that didn't exist as to the degree they exist now, certainly not during Peter Drucker's time, right? Um, not even during Steve Ballmer's early years at Microsoft. Um, so let's talk about these for just a second. The pace of change, the pace of change, everything is changing faster and faster. And because of that, it's not enough for us to just be able to have a strategy and a plan and execute. We need to relearn how to, how to do big things in small steps so that we're and this is really what the agile methodologies that are so popular in software and IT are about. It's about accomplishing things in, in, a, in a reactive way, in a constantly learning way. So instead of, you know, the way you build a house is you put a plan together and then you dig the hole and you build it, right? And you really don't want to just sort of make it up as you go along or you have a disaster. But a lot of other things in business right now do require us to learn as we go and to react as we go and require, you know, require courage to move into the unknown. And so it's one thing to have courage. It's another thing to succeed. And I think that the techniques that you see the most in, again, in the IT and software spaces and certainly in, in software, big software companies and small startups is the agile methodologies that are being used. Um, th those things, that's something that every new leader should pay attention to. Um, and, you know, you might say, well, you know, I'm not in software. I don't want to work in software. You know what? There's something to be learned by the incremental delivery and the rapid ability to learn that these agile techniques are, are teaching people. So number one, um, because of the pace of change, I would really emphasize agile. Um, 
and I and I'm going to go back to intentional again in a minute because virtual teams. Um, we we've had virtual teams. We've had again. You know, I was when I was working in the '80s. I was on a team that had people all over the country. So I was on a virtual team, and and frankly, we struggled with all the things you'd always do it. But but they were not the norm. Well, let's face it. We just spent a year working from home, and we all reacted to that, right? right? When we all go back to work, and we're going to still have remote teams, we're still going to have people working part time, working remotely, work, and and what we learned, what I think we learned, is that if we had a decent culture in the office, we could survive that remote work really well. Okay, I mean. And it's it's kind of like when my kids went off to college. I had a good relationship with them. They they were um, they they were practical. You know, they had their feet on the ground. So it was new, but they survived the college experience. We stayed in touch, no problem. What's going to be different is as we start to have the norm being uh, remote work and a lot of people not there all the time. Is that again? It's going to be culture. It's going to be. Do you have an intentional culture that brings people in, helps them to learn the way you work, and really gets them attached to your business? I was joking with somebody the other day, um, a friend, a young friend in in her 20s who had taken on a new job in the last six months, and she said, "Oh, we're starting to lose a." People and and I'm not sure why. And I said, well, maybe they were working three jobs at the same time because they were all remote, right? And so they finally decided which job they wanted. Now it's probably not true, but the fact is, when we're all remote, we don't really know what's going on. And um, how are how are that leaders gonna make an emotional connection with people? Because. When the going gets tough, it's the emotional commitment that we personally have to the task at hand, to the project team, that gets the job done. And we've seen that over and over and over again. Oh, you know, I mean, whether it's the military, whether it's sports, whether it's business, your emotional commitment to your team's goal is what keeps people going through the tough times. How are you going to build emotional commitments to your organization and to the team goal, or are people really just going to be committed to their paycheck? So I think that's the big challenge coming ahead of us, and that's probably something that the up-and-coming leader ought to be intentional about. No, thank you for for going through that. We really appreciate it, and. You know, I want to just say here too that you have a a beautiful website for theversatilecompany.com, and um, just so many blog posts. I mean, many different titles. We could dig into any one of those, and that could be a, a master class for the uh, for our talk here. I mean, looking at choose a checklist to improve your process, for instance. Just you've got a number of great information out there. So thanks for for your generosity in these things that you've done. I would probably add that as well. The the idea of generosity on, on what you've demonstrated here and, and what we've been able to find about you. Oh well, that's kind of you to say that. Yeah, well, it is, and it's um, you know, I, I want to ask you this and go off the script just a little bit, but we have uh, I get this question all the time, and you're far more qualified to answer it than I am. But uh, students, we have project management classes in healthcare leadership and in organizational leadership and learning. Uh, we're developing a track, which I believe is how uh, or we cross paths. We're using your book with uh, Ron Sheffield and. Um, no, that's that's how we uh, sought you out, I, I believe, if I remember, Doctor. Right, but, right. Yeah, uh, Ron and I connected, yeah. and he introduced me to you. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, Ron's great. And so I guess my question is, students ask this, how important is it and what are the steps involved to get that? Uh, and, and is PMP the right organization? I, I would guess that you know, there are a number out there, but yours is in PMP. So I guess that's the first question. Is PMP the right organization? What does it take to get there? And, and do you recommend our students and other professionals to get that certification? Great, yeah. So PMP certification is a project management professional. It comes from the Project Management Institute. And so, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up the aperture a little bit here and say, whether it's project management or any industry, there is now a professional association that a student can join once they hit the workforce. And the certifications that come from your industry. So I'm also a member of the learning and development industry, and I can get certification by the from ATD, which is a, a learning development organization uh, association, right? And there, there are so many associations that offer their professionals members a certification. Um, that's where I would I would pay very much attention to that. And the traditional path to doing that is first of all you get your degree right the degree is a, is a huge foundation of education which is really important and then from that you start to work and as you work you gain experience and most of these certifications are far easier to earn than a college degree right so that's one of the reasons i think that they're beneficial but they're also um they're also reflective of the best of the org of that industry when they're, you know, and they always change. Like for example, the test to, uh, you have to pass to get a PMP, that changed just six months ago. And it changes every few years because the Project Management Institute, which is, again, is a professional association, they're trying to make it stay relevant. And I think you find this in every industry um, where there's, where you work. And so um, I really believe highly, and I really encourage your students Here's what I really encourage your students to do. Um, think in terms of not just uh, getting a certification, but really to continue their learning. And continue learning, continue learning, continue learning. And next thing you know, you'll have a professional certification. You might get a technical one. Um, you, you might learn some specific tool. And every one of those um, represents your continued growth. What I find is that um, I've got, I've met some people who are doing so many different interesting things and I, and where do I meet them? I meet them after hours at the professional association where I'm hanging out and I, and it might be the learning one, ATD, it might be PMI, it might be something else, but that's where I meet these interesting people who are doing interesting things in my industry. So really encourage all the folks who are, you know, going to school right now, finish the degree. Once you start working, look for the relevant professional association and start hanging out there because that's where you're going to really find out what's really happening. Um, and you'll probably be able to separate yourself from the rest of the crowd because you'll be paying attention to people who are passionate about your profession. That's a great point. And it's uh, often there are a lot of privileges to membership. For instance, I mean, I belong to an American College of Healthcare Executives, and they have free webinars, free seminars for members all the time. Their annual meeting had uh, Atul Gawande, who wrote the Checklist Manifesto, right. which I 
Yeah, the Dr. Fauci was there. Yeah, and I, I think of, uh, I thought of the checklist manifesto when your your blog post here choose a checklist to improve your process and how uh, how important that is, right? I if, and, and this is Dave Allen is one of my favorite uh, project manager from uh, getting things done from that book. I consider mm-hmm. that in the realm of project management. But yeah, I, Dr. Owens, I'm starting to nerd out here. I better turn it over to you before I uh, we'll go to our next. Well, we're going to nerd out really bad, I think. Wait, yeah, wait. yeah, we're, we're, we're it's, it's 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 already taken over, right? We we've name dropped and book dropped and done all the dropping, right? Um, said quotes, and but you said a very interesting quote that as we segue into our our, our next kind of subject, and we'll, we'll we'll kind of breeze through this one. But you said pay attention to the people who are passionate about your profession. I think that is that 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 is an overlooked. Um, it seems to be like it's just overlooked, right? I don't know. I don't know the word for it. It's just overlooked because I think we're a lot of times we're trying to get the degree, we're trying to get the certification, we're trying to get the networking, we're trying to build our brand, we're trying to build this, we're trying to show, you know, build our resume, get all the the checks and the and instead of just like looking up, getting our head out of the sand and saying who's already succeeding in this industry, and then what, like, how do I mirror that? Because they're passionate about what I want to do. They're they're already succeeding, and I'm not there yet. What do you, you know? Think? The other thing I would add to that is that when I'm in school, I've got a leader, and I've got a very structured path forward. And if I want to get an A in this class, somebody's telling me this is the book you read, this is the paper you write. And if I want a degree, these are the classes you take, and so forth. And once you hit the ground out there in the professional environment, there is no path. I mean, there sort of is, and there sort of isn't, right? And so you go out and hang out with people that are 10 years ahead of you or even even your peers. Uh, my Steve Widener, the guy I mentioned to you earlier, same age as me. We were both newbies in project management when we met at the PMI years ago. But uh, these are people you learn from because they're passionate about what they're doing. Right, right, right. I think that's a very critical you know, point, especially for the the students in the olo program because a lot of them are they've already went out and done some work and they're now coming back to get the degree to try and get ahead or to get the promotion or whatever the reason is just maybe it's just something on the checklist to do and so i think that that's very critical like don't forget to pay attention to the people who are already succeeding and what you're what you want to be or where you want to go or if you want to change your career or whatever the case may be don't forget to leave out the people who've already who who have done it or are doing it that you can look up to but looking up, knowing that, um, switching gears just a little bit from leadership, and maybe we've already switched those gears, moving over to learning, where Steve Jobs said that learn continually, there's always one more thing to learn. Um, kind of want to know, like, as a president of a company, how important is it for you to know your personal learning style? Um, you know, I think it's important because um it can be a real blind spot if you don't and i know for myself well first first of all two things um we're 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 a management training business so we need to understand the concept of learning styles when we design training right or or when i write a book both of those are examples of products that we have where our customers um, have learning styles have different learning styles and my ability to address all those styles is important now so that's from a product development standpoint. But from a leadership standpoint, I would say that learning styles um, are very important to me because I know that uh, I tend to be in a hurry. 
Um, I want to know it right now. Um, I can be too quick to judge. And I know all those things about myself. And I know that, therefore, I know my blind spots. And so I watch myself uh, make the same mistake over and over. But I, often I'm catching myself before I get too far down the road. So I think that's why um, understanding my learning style has been uh, beneficial to me. That's good. That's good. I like that. I like that. Because it, 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 I don't think anyone's ever said it can be the blind spot. I think we've asked this question to a lot of people and, and no one's really said it. But it, and I think the more I think about it, it probably does become the blind spot. And it, from a leadership standpoint, it could probably be more detrimental than more, uh, as you can say, you know, it, it's not going to be luck. Luck is going to run out at some point in time. And then you're going to be forced to either look at yourself in the mirror or figure out why churn is happening in your organization. We've all heard the saying, people don't leave companies, they leave people. It, it could be that you're not aware of your blind spot and that's why people are, are leaving you. So just a Well, thought. and I believe me, I've had people say to me, Eric, the reason we made this mistake is because you did not slow down long enough to learn what was going on. I'm like, thank you for that education, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, learn by the school of hard knocks for sure. <laughs> Dr. McCart, you want to chime in on this? Sure, sure. Well, we say around here, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And as actually Ken Blanchard quote, I didn't didn't come up with that. But yeah, it's tough. We want good feedback, but that's, we learn from bad feedback, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need it. Um, you know, I was looking up a quote here. Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway says that what you formerly knew is never enough. And I, I just heard that last week and I've been thinking about it and he also says here if you keep learning all the time you have a wonderful advantage and just that idea of um, just staying staying current staying fresh we already talked about that but we want to ask you a question along learning here and it is um, what are some useful tools that you use to help optimize your career with some things that um, you wouldn't mind sharing with us well so the first one is very much like learning styles um, and it's it's this concept called social styles. And, and I'm gonna guess you two have probably come across this, but for your audience, I'm gonna tell you this, I discovered this very early in my career. I was probably 25 years old and I continue to use it constantly. So the idea of social styles is basically that we don't all solve problems or communicate in the same way. People are different. Well, big, big aha, right? But I tell you the first time somebody explains that to you, for me, it was a huge aha. And so, Here's a perfect example, and this is what I see in every team that I work in and every uh, uh, organization that I work with. I meet these two people, and I'll call them Mr. Facts and Ms. Results. And Mr. Facts is the person who, you know, is detail-oriented, and when he makes a decision, he wants to be right, and he's going to take the time to study it and, and make sure he understands all the options. Ms. Results is a big picture thinker um, and is really focused on getting to an outcome. Like, let's get something done here and can be in a big hurry. Now, I've, I, I, with just that simple example, do you know which one of those you two are? I think. <laughs> so, um, if I were to guess, do you want me, you want me to say it? You want me to say it? Just go ahead, yeah. Who, yeah, who, I, I, I would say that based off that definition, I would think I would be Mrs. Results, unfortunately. And I think that Andrew would be Mr. Facts. Does that sound right to you, Andrew? 
I'm not going to disagree with Dr. Owens on on the air. So yeah, I think so. So anyway, now now, and I say I say I meet these folks all the time, and the thing is, um, and and they're both right, right? Because do you not want results, right. or do yes. you not want details? And so you want you want what both of them have, and this is why I think this concept is brilliant, because I want Mr. Uh, facts and I want Ms. results on my team. And you know what? Those two drive each other crazy. Think about that, yeah. right? They drive each other crazy because just when you're going to make a decision and Ms. results has been made like, okay, at last we've talked this one through. I'm going to, we're going to make a decision. We're going to move on. And Mr. Facts says, so I've got a couple of more questions for you, right? And there's like, you know, you can just see that Ms. results. Like, Oh my, how is this possible, right? So the thing is, I, I love both having both these people on the team. Both are critically important. They make critically important contributions. And if they do not understand what the source of their difference is, they will drive each other nuts and they will not be friends and they will not be good coworkers. But if you can explain this to them, if you can say, well, your social style is to be more uh, detail oriented and you take more time to make decisions. Your social style is to be big picture thinking and you're in a big hurry and you want to get results. And you see how either one of those can be a strength and but both can have a, a blind spot and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I see that. And they, So when you work with each other and blah, 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 and you work that out. Right. And so the concept, this concept of social styles um, for me has been brilliant. And it's in many ways, it's like learning styles. Right. It's it helps me to interact with everybody effectively. I try to figure out somebody's social style quickly, and then I try to adjust my style so that they want, that I am, I understand them and I am adjusting to them. And then I will also say to them something like, so you have to understand, I know you want all the details, but you have to understand that my style is, and I do that. And then we kind of quickly form the bridge. Now, this, this concept, social styles, has been around for like 50 years, maybe. Um, the original book came out on this in the 70s. And again, you guys have probably heard about this, but I would just say to your audience, if you search for Marilyn Reed, David Merrill, Roger Reed, you get enormous amount of content around this because it's just really valuable. And so I, I always say, if you work with people, this is your number one uh, concept to put in your pocket. It's simple and it's powerful. Oh yeah, I, I think we I think we we come to the when we when we started this, um, I think we we, we kind of came up with a phrase of let's not let perfection get in the way of excellence. So let's just put out a, the best product that we can. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and I think because I think sometimes you can get caught up in that. Like you want it to be better. It's gotta be the best. And me, I'm just like, let's just put it out there, right? Maybe it sinks, maybe it swims. Who knows? Maybe it, it swims awkwardly, right? Maybe it swims in a circle. I said that, and, and I think that's kind of how we, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, I think that's just kind of how we have navigated that, that facts versus results. It was just like, let's just put it out there. It may not be perfect. We may not say everything politically correct all the time, but we're definitely not trying to sabotage anything or anybody. So I think we'll be okay. Yeah. And, and the fact that the, there's there's both of you working and you have each bring a different strength, right? That's what makes it beautiful. That's the beauty yeah. of it. 
And then yeah. people have heard me say his Google is better than mine because I can type in something to find research on something. And I come back with like two things. He'll be like, what? How come you didn't get this article? Did you, you didn't know this was out there? Yeah, there's like 17 books. And I'm like, your Google is not my Google. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly, that's a great example of it. And, and as I say, you know, if you, you ask me, what's a useful tool? Learn about social styles. Um, and and it, because as a leader, as a leader, to me, this is like right up front. Um, when we teach a class on how to build a team, this is right up front. You, you help people. Um, this is a number one team communication skill is being able to see yourself and see others. And then once you do that, then you begin to form relationships and you can laugh about your differences and you understand what they are. And you realize that Eric's not a bad guy. He's not, you know, he's just different. And right. and we all appreciate each other. So it's, it's it, again, it has so many benefits when people start to realize what this is, the, the, they, they see, they're conscious. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I love it. I love it. I, I, man, that, that was a, that took us, that's great. Social styles. Maybe we should add that to our questions from here on out. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. McCart, anything? Sure. Yeah. And that, uh, I think sometimes I find so much stuff on our guests, they don't even know is out there and uh, borderline creepy, but it's, uh, I'm a researcher. Uh, okay. Uh oh. By training. No, I mean, it's, well, and these blog posts I keep finding are, are on the author updates on amazon.com that you, I mean, you really put a lot of great information out there. So uh, just to, to close the loop on that, but um, well, we are, time is flying and we've, uh, we're having a ball asking all these questions. I may have to jump around a little bit to the ones I really wanted to know, but. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sure. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to be president of the, the versatile company? I mean, I would look at, I'm looking at your LinkedIn here and, um, 31 years, president, right. founder, leads, courseware architect. I mean, that is, uh, entrepreneurship is tough. I don't have to tell you that, but it is, uh, when I, so I read, I was like, okay, great. Got his own company, founder. 31 years. Wow. So that's, uh, that tells me, you know what you're doing. You're fair. Uh, you, you have to be fair to your, the marketplace, fair to your customers, fair to your employees, or, or you don't stay in business that long, I don't think. Um, so just tell us a little bit about that, your journey and, uh, right. Just for, for some of us that are hold on to stable and steady jobs in the university and are afraid to entrepreneurship means one who takes a risk. I, I'm personally a little afraid of it. So tell us about it. I hope to learn from right, you. right. Well, the other thing that 31 years in business tells you is that I started when I was seven years old. Right. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Oh, okay. So no, no, it's a great story though. Um, I mean, I appreciate you saying the fairness because I think that really nails it. But. Um, so the story is kind of simple, actually. I fell in love early, and I fell in love with training. Um, first company I worked for, big IT corporation. I mean, one of the biggest IT service providers that existed in the 80s when I was uh, just getting out of college. Um, they had a huge internal training operation. And, and so I did a rotation through there and taught some classes. And oh, I fell in love with the classroom, with being a teacher. I envy you both because that's what you do um, but somehow for me it was being in the working out in the business that was really where I wanted to teach it was working with the people that are doing the work um, that was really turned me on so um, I quickly uh, I fell in love with that and um, that company happened 
to be headquartered in Dallas, Texas. And uh, the woman that I was in love with happened to be living in Seattle, Washington, where I was working. So uh, I said, easy choice. Married my girlfriend in Seattle, quit my job, found work locally. And, and really, uh, I'm just very fortunate because quickly I got on with the Boeing company. It's just, they, 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 they hired me as a part-time instructor and said, well, if you get good marks, you can keep coming back. Well, I got good enough marks, I kept coming back. Uh, within a couple of years, I had a few more other training contracts locally and uh, just kind of the ball started to move forward. Um, we you know, hired some other people to help me out. Uh, we did a good job, our reputation stood up. And uh, over time, uh, we just were able to get more and more business and I, you know, hire people. And as you say, Andrew, uh, treat the treat the people fairly that you're working for and working with. And uh, here we are. So it's it's been, um, and, and you nailed it. It's, uh, it's one thing to be in love with training, but to run a business takes a lot of learning. Um, a lot of trial and error. Yeah, thank you for that. That's um, just just even that it, for whatever reason, that that continuity, uh, 31, that impressed me. And so you may, have, you may have started when you were seven. That's even more impressive. Maybe there's a lemonade stand in the first iteration. But no, that's uh, that's great. And thank you for telling us about that. And but, well, Dr. Owens, let me let me turn it over to you. Yeah, I mean, I just want to, you know, uh, for all of our students out there, uh, you know, when we, if you're enrolling in the project management course, um, Eric's book is going to be the, the book we roll out and, and, and we ride or, ride or die with us, as we say around here. So um, let me, can I ask you some questions about the book? Sure. Um, but more so um, detailing it, like what are some good and bad examples of project management? Um, I don't know if they're in the book. Um, we haven't, I don't think we've got the copies here yet um, by, by bulk order, but um, what are some good and bad examples of project management? So um, I only focus on good examples in the book. Okay. Great. It's a lot more fun to have positive examples and it's more fun to learn from a positive example. So I'll tell you, I'll give you a quick, uh, 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 three quick examples. So first of all, um, when you say uh, example of, a good example of project management. So, as I say, we've been talking to professionals for many, many years about this, and we come up with five project success factors. And so if you can have these five factors on every project, then you at least have the odds in your favor. So I'll, I'll, let me just quickly uh, cover these, right? They're the, a clear goal, you know what you want to do, you know why you want to do it, and so does everybody else involved, right? Your boss, your team, you have a plan. So you know how you're going to get there, how you're going to get it done. And you know, who's going to do the work and, and they know it. And so it's a clear plan, good, strong communication. And again, communication's intentional, right? So anybody who's involved, you're thoughtfully communicating with the right people at the right time. The fourth uh, one is to maintain focus on the goal. And it's kind of funny that, you know, we start with goal and then maintain focus. But the problem is on many projects, after we agree on the goal, we start wandering in the desert. And so a major success factor is what we call controlled scope, which is really just staying focused on the goal and not letting everything wander. And then strong support for management. So when you talk about uh, what's good project management, what's bad project management, that's good project management. You do those five things. 
and really that's what the book is about. Um, now, I, I, love, I got a story because in my most recent edition, we, we interviewed people in the entertainment industry and asked them about project management. So I got a great story from Stuart Lyons. Stuart was the, um, he was a producer on Breaking Bad, you know? And so as a producer, kind of the way he described it is he does everything off screen so that everything in front of the camera goes well. Now he had a story that he told me. Uh, he said, he's working on a movie and there's a secret agent who's gonna take a bag full of weapons and stow them in a bus terminal. And of course, this is a bus terminal in a foreign country. It's not in the US. And so, um, well, Steve Lyons, Stuart Lyons reading the script, looking at that description, there's no dialogue. There's just this action. And he looks at this and he says, wow. So we're gonna go to a foreign country, find a bus terminal, get hundreds of extras to be in the background for this scene, um, control all the signage, make sure we have the right vehicles in the shot, all for a few minutes of a scene is gonna be incredibly expensive. And there's no dialogue. What if instead we have the secret agent go out into a desert and bury the bag in a special spot? And so he tells this to the director, director buys it, they save a quarter million dollars. And 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 it doesn't hurt the you know the, the movie's just fine, right? It doesn't hurt the story. Now the reason I love that story is that is exactly what executives expect from project managers. They expect them to think to look at what's going on, think about it and say, is this really going to add value? Are we going to spend a quarter million dollars in a way that's going to be going to move our project forward? And so in this case, Stuart Lyons looked at that and he, he collaborated. He, he got out of his, you know, he didn't just do what they said. He looked at it and goes like, I think this is a better way to spend your money. So that's a good example. Now, let me just say um, the bad example. I'll share one bad example with you. And and it is that, um, and again, I try not to focus on bad things too much because it's easy to throw stones at failed projects. But in the past year, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of people denying facts, denying science, depending upon wishful thinking to make hugely important decisions. And so I would just say that denying facts is bad project management. Gotcha. Wishful thinking is bad project management. And I understand that this isn't the first time in history that people have ignored facts and relied on wishful thinking. You know, that does happen all the time. This just happens to be very well publicized and, you know, the tragic results are very well known. Right. That's bad project management. Wow. 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 That right there was worth, Never mind. go buy the book. Go buy all the books. Read all the editions, <laughs> right? Shameless plug on my part, on Eric's behalf. Go buy the book. Go buy the book. Even if you don't take the class, those five points right there are worth everything. Dr. McCart, you want to chime in? Sure. Yeah, thank you, Eric, for that. It's uh, the, that idea of, and that story of cutting the cost and, and not impacting the quality from, and Breaking Bad, I was a big fan of Breaking Bad. And, uh, even Marsh, uh, Better Call Saul, just because I was such a fan of spinoff shows. So I'll th thank you for that. And um, 
now you'll never be able to watch those shows without thinking about project management. So I kind of ruined right. it maybe for you, right? No, that makes it even better. Better or worse? Yeah. Better. It makes a more richer experience for. Again, I'm a project management nerd, so um, you know it's a very technical. This is a little spin on on this uh, question that we have. But project management is just a skill, very technical, can be. But there's also this relationship aspect, and there's the people aspect, and we. I, uh, you, you were talking earlier about um, uh, the idea of professional organizations. And for instance, I belong to the American Society for Quality and study their Six Sigma uh, curriculum. But uh, I think of the Toyota production system and there is the uh, continuous improvement and the respect for people. And so it can often be in that field that the continuous improvement happens, but they forget about the respect for people. And, so the long run up to my question is uh, relationships and project management. Are, are they important? How important are they? Do you uh, see that as a, uh, a dynamic that's worth paying attention to in project management? So very insightful question, Andrew. Thank you. Um, because in project management, you can get caught up in the nuts and bolts. There are so many processes. There's so many techniques. There's so much jargon that uh, you can get caught up in all that and you forget that projects get done by people. Okay? And, and actually, here's I think the real, the, the real dynamic that we need to understand that every project is a change. And so with, because it's a change, and that means there's going to be discoveries, there's going to be problems to be solved. In fact, in many projects, it's just day after day, it's like, okay, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? Uh, how are we going to design it? Should we go with an Apple product or a Microsoft product? You know what? I mean, it's just constant decision making, right? So when you have projects that are constantly about making decisions and solving problems, if you have positive relationships, things are going to go two to three times better than if you do not, right? If you have friction, if you have somehow, if you've been more focused on the schedule than the people and you get a bunch of disengaged people and you're trying to solve an important problem, is that really how you want to solve an important problem with people that are like, I've had it with you, you know, uh, just get me out of here. No, you want people who are excited, who trust each other. I mean, that's what makes teams really exciting. And I, I, I hate to, you know, pound my book too hard, but really that's, there's a whole new chapter in my sixth edition on this topic of the importance of trust in teams so that you have dynamic, exciting teams that are fun to work on and that make good decisions together. Oh, great points there. And, you know, in, in projects and in any organization, you're going to have friction and conflicts and when there's a good relationship, I feel like those can be worked out. Uh, but when there's a bad relationship, then it doesn't, uh, it takes, uh, there's a book out there, The Speed of Trust, that we talk about sometimes. Um, and it just slows things down. The uh, We can work through anything if there's a good relationship, but if there's not a good relationship, there's even the smallest hiccup uh, will stop a project dead in its tracks from my experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, we, we with the right people and right relationships, work through the problems. Absolutely. <coughs> Sorry about that. Well, Dr. Owens, you know, there's that time in the show whenever I say that uh, you're known as the fun one. You've got the fun <laughs> questions, the rapid fire, the the energy, the motivation. I've uh, asked all the technical nerdy questions I can, and I better just hand it over to you for a bit. 
all right no problem you know uh eric we couldn't let you get out of here with having a little fun with you we we've delved in and dived into leadership and to learning and even got into project management Sca- probably scared some of our students from the project management course but hopefully we made it more exciting nevertheless so today before we let you go we'd definitely like to have a little fun with you and the first thing we do is we have what we call rapid fire these are just five questions i'm going to ask you and you can just answer them with the first things that come off off the top of your head um and that's how we go. Are you ready for rapid fire? Let's go. Here we go. Rapid fire, round one, first question. Let me uh, pull up here. Here we go. If you could pick one word that would describe your life so far, what would it be and why? I would say that I'm lucky. Lucky describes me. I have you know, I've been blessed. I grew up in a great family, loving parents. I, I still hang out with my brothers. Um, I've got a great family now. I've been married for 31 years and I've got two great children I spend time with. So, and and I'm lucky to do the work that I do because, um, you know, I, I, I like being on my own. It's risky, but it's also fulfilling. Um, I get to do creative work. Gotcha, I love it right great word by the way great word you pass round one we'll go into round two (laughs) what are three non-negotiable characteristics that anyone on your team or tribe has to have so first is integrity we talked about character before integrity integrity is kind of a one strike and you're out deal in our business because if we catch you doing something that shows you don't have integrity it means that's that's not the first time you made that mistake probably it's just the first time we caught it that's it um and i'd say the second one is respect for teammates and and there it's a two strikes and you're out first time we call you on it make sure you're aware of what the problem is second time it's it because that just ruins the environment um and that's it i've only got two non-negotiables okay two non-negotiables i like it those are great non-negotiables by the way you successfully passed round two on to round three i think i know this answer but what is your favorite hobby my favorite hobby is music um i have so uh i don't know how long ago but i met some some buddies through my church choir and uh we started sitting around and playing guitar and singing songs and we just love it and we do it whenever we can um and we just go on we just go on and on uh, singing those old folk songs classic rock country songs we just enjoy the moment just hanging out together singing and just playing whatever we bring i love it i really thought it was going to be skiing from our earlier conversation so that's why i thought i knew this answer <sighs> you got me all right you pass round three round four if you weren't president of your own company what would you be doing as a career Okay, so anybody in my business, which is where you get to stand up in front of people and tell them stuff, it's basically that's second place to actually being on the stage. So I'd rather be on Broadway or be be in front of leading on the front man on a country band. Um, but second place was lead my own company in the training business. <laughs> that's that's not a bad that's not a bad second place. It's not a bad runner up. Not a bad runner up. You know what, though? Honestly, I think at least half the people on my team that are professional trainers have spent time on the stage. And and 
you know, so that's part of that's part of that that excitement that we get of being in front of the room is uh, some of the excitement that we get on the stage. That is amazing. All right, last question, rapid fire. Here we go. If you could sit with your 13 year old self, what would you tell him? Um, so that's a seventh grader. Uh, I'd say you are loved. You've got a great family. Um, and the most important thing in life is who you love and who loves you. That's the most important thing. Um, and I would say that, you know, there's going to be challenges in life. And if you have a challenge, do your best. And if you do your best, you'll have nothing to regret. And, um, and I would also say, be sure you have fun. Yeah. Because if you don't have fun in this life, I'm not sure which life you'll have fun in. Got it. Those were great answers, by the way. Now, my last question, my, my truly fun question is I'm torn because you're already the author of a book. But this is the question that has stumped every guest, all 20 plus of them. So I think I'm going to throw this out there just to see how it works. So here it is. If your life was the title of a book made up or real, what would it be and why? Um, you know, so many years ago, when I was in college, we had to write an essay about ourselves. And I said, Eric is an artist. So I would say the title of the book is Eric is an artist. Um, I, I think what I love most, whether it's playing music with my friends or, or writing a book, it's, it's the creative part of my job that I love the most. And so um, that's, that's what it would be. Eric is an artist. I love it. That's and, let me add that this is just the kind of exciting, creative part of my job that I love too. So thank you. This has been so fun. <laughs> so no problem. So before we let you get out of here totally, right? If you had anything, wise counsel, one word, thought, whatever, to kind of guide all of our listeners um, who will hear this far and wide for the rest of 2021, you know, what would that message be? I just repeat what we started with, which is that your, your success is up to you. Be intentional, choose, choose to be the best, have the best attitude on the team or choose to do your best at whatever you do. Um, we don't always, we, we don't get to choose our search circumstances or our situation. We do get to choose our reaction. Be intent. This was an amazing, amazing interview. Dr. McCart, you got anything before we let Eric get out of here and go change the world that he's, that he's already started changing? Well, that last thing you just said there, Eric, this, um, if you can't change the event, you could change your response. That's another way. And that's, uh, you know, I was just going over this last week with, with some folks and I try to remember, you know, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but I'm up there training or talking that I'm actually talking to myself. These are things either that I'm still working on or that really had to work on. And now I feel like I've got something to offer back on that. But it was this idea of responsibility is the ability to respond as simple as that sounds, but you've got a choice in the matter. And it's, but when you're a reacting, you're the victim of a circumstance and you're just doing whatever unconsciously comes to mind. But uh, that idea that you just mentioned there of 
choosing something different. You can't changing the way that you uh, react or respond to a situation. I forget exactly the way you said it, but it was great there. And I think if we remember, we've got that choice. We don't have to do what's common. We don't have to do what a lesser version of ourselves would do just because it's more comfortable. Uh, but we can choose a, a better way of being if we consciously and have that intentionality, which you started our conversation off with. So uh, that's uh, I'm going to write that down and I'm going to take that with me and put it on a big post-it note right here on my monitor. That's awesome. You know, um, and let me let me just add the coda to that is easier to say than to do. It kind of your point there is as you're talking to other people, you're really talking to yourself. Um, you know, it, it, easy to say, not easy to do. So that's my I still I'm still learning, I'm still learning. Well, I would I would say that that is you've given us so many great quotes today. So many great insights. We definitely want to have you back on the podcast. I'm not sure when we will do that, but we will definitely keep you in contact because this was a great conversation. Uh, This is something that we can use in our classrooms. I mean, I'm sure this podcast will be used in the classroom, but um, it's something that and and we can pull. We can keep going at this all day and all night, but we definitely don't want to take any more of your time today. So, Eric, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the Cardinal Call podcast today. We appreciate all your insight and we will have you back on the podcast again. That sounds like something that I would love to do. You guys have, uh, this is a great program. I appreciate your energy and your creativity, and I appreciate you the opportunity to be involved. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. McCart, we hit the biggest home run we could have ever hit by bringing Eric on here today. What do you think? No, that was great. Uh, you, you kicked it off in the intro with uh, he's the subject matter expert for subject matter experts. And, you know, I think that that's, um, that's a good way to say that. And it's really one of the objectives for this podcast, which he asked us about, how did we start doing this? And I think it could be as simple as that we want to learn from world-class leaders. And yeah. oh, I, I do teach a class on project management. I feel like I help a lot of healthcare leaders with that. But he is someone that I would go to for information on this and just did for an hour or so. But we have, what a great guest. And I... Uh, We'll see if the department can buy us a copy of his book. Oh, um, most definitely. All right, but we'll, we will buy one. We won't go to the library and rent it. I think it's uh, <laughs> a lot of good information there that uh, really would uh, love to, as a, as a way of learning and growing, but also saying thanks to our, our guests for being here. So, yeah, oh, what, what did no. you think? I thought I loved it. Man, I learned so much today, man. My, my, my. I mean, you see all my scribbles and chicken scratches all over my, my paper today, man. I, I love learning about uh, social styles, um, if you know what you're doing, you can lead from anywhere. I mean, so many great quotes. Um, it, it's really too much, right? There, it, to, to do a recap of this is, is almost to do a whole nother show, right? Let's be honest. Uh, the five, his, his five factors, clear goals, clear plans, clear communication, you know, go back and refocus on the goal and then get your management support from, uh, you know, those are kind of the tenets of his book. I mean, it's a lot. It's really too much to really recap. And that's crazy to sound, right? It's crazy to say you have too much information to recap. Well, and we use the book in a 15-week class, or maybe it's an eight-week condensed class, but it's a three-credit class, long class, so it's there's a ton of content in there. So, yeah, that, I think that was great. I, I guess you took out the favorite dessert question. I, I yeah, kind of, uh, went to the gym today. Feel like I earned a dessert. I was kind of wondering what Eric would say, but <laughs> you know, we'll have to get him on next time and ask. 
Most definitely, most definitely. So to all our listeners out there, we want to thank you for joining us today. You can check out this podcast as well as any of our other pack podcasts at uofl.me backslash leadership dash pod. Again, that's uofl.me backslash leadership dash pod, right? So listen, ladies and gentlemen, right? If you know you need to get that degree, if you have some college and no degree, we hope to see you in the classroom, either virtually or on campus, to get a degree that gets you ahead. We have online bachelor's and master's, as well as certificate leadership programs in a wide range of industries, from healthcare to education to human resources. You can get all that information at uofl.me backslash podcast dash OLL. Again, that's uofl.me backslash podcast dash OLL. And as we say around here, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. When you teach, you never know how many lives you will influence. So Cardinal Nation, keep leading, keep learning, and keep influencing. We hope to see you soon. But until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast in any of our platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or check us out on YouTube every Friday so that you are well aware of all the information that's happening in the OLL program as we begin and head into the fall to start classes, as well as any information that you want to learn about finishing that degree that you're going to need. So until then, take care and stay safe.